You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. Over the last two weeks, I've been talking about the topic uh, that I've called Inside Out, and um, we're on our third week, which I've called Outside In. So um, on, our, on our first trip to, uh, to, I don't know why I said trip, on our, on our first Sunday, um, I, as I say, I talked about the Inside Out Church, and we looked at Acts chapter 5, and from that story in Acts chapter 5, um, which at the end of which the apostles were accused of filling the town with the gospel, um, I, I drew from that the idea that they were to go to the temple courts, and for us we should just go where people will listen, uh, as a church, and preach the full gospel. That's what the angel told the apostles to do. Go and preach. Tell them everything. Uh, in, literally, tell them all the words uh, about this new life. And uh, we talked about not uh, making the gospel wishy-washy, but actually preaching the full gospel, which we've heard this morning through the communion and through that. Uh, there was amazing images we saw as we were um, reflecting on the words of that song during communion. And, and as Vez made that appeal, we're are to preach the full gospel about Christ crucified and resurrected for our sins um, and, and, and ascended and, and all that whole shebang. Um, the full gospel is what we are about. So that was the first week. And then from that, we, we moved on to, still in the first week, thinking about the Great Commission and what Jesus, we call the Great Commission, those some of the last words, not the last words of Jesus, but when he said to the disciples, go into all the world and make disciples of, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, um, I'm, I'm with you, and um, that sort of thing. So um, if you haven't heard those messages, I preach them a lot better than that summary, and uh, go back and hear them on Brixham.church and find the tab that says listen. And then um, last week we talked about rather than saying, well, um, it's, it's easy for us to talk about an inside out church because that doesn't affect me personally because I can just judge the church. Is the church living inside out? Um, we've got some good stuff on the inside. Let's get it out there. Um, but let's drill it down to um, an inside out church is made up of inside out Christians. So I talked first of all about what we have got inside side of us. If we have indeed uh, let Jesus into our lives, we've got Christ in us, we've got his spirit within us, we've got the light of God within us. And um, we thought, well, if, if all of that is within us, why aren't we bursting with the gospel everywhere we go and people seeing the light in us? And um, I then talked about some internal factors that might prevent us from, from sharing that light and also some external factors. Paul already has said that um, the, the battle is sometimes one in the air, in the spiritual realms, before it's one on the ground. And so there are some external factors there. So I hope that refreshes your memory, because when I came to prepare this, I couldn't remember what I'd said last week um, and went through my PowerPoint from the last two weeks. So I thought, if I can't remember and I prepared it and delivered it, what hope have you got of remembering? But hopefully you're catching the spirit of this, the idea of we have got some treasure in jars of clay here and the treasure is to be shared and so the culmination of being inside out having some great stuff on the inside of us that's spilling out into the world around us is that the outside people who are not in faith come 
in. And let me be very clear that, um, and I've said this probably both weeks already, that I'm not talking about building Brixham Community Church as uh, an empire in Brixham. I'm talking about if you're outside, you're not in the kingdom of in the kingdom of God, you haven't let Jesus into your life. And, and on the, by inside, let me define that as you have given your life to Jesus. So I don't mind if I lead someone to Jesus. In fact, I'm delighted if I can lead someone to Jesus. And they end up going to the Baptist church in Brixham, as long as they're growing there and thriving there. Um, we're becoming more and more good friends with Jeff Andrews at the Baptist church um, and was with him for lunch on Tuesday and just it's fine, it's great, you know, um, go somewhere, get, get caught up in the life of a thriving church, it doesn't matter if it's BCC, but consequently, if we are living inside-out lives, I would expect any healthy church to be growing, and numerical growth would be because of people coming to Christ, not because they've fallen out with the Methodist minister and they've moved to us, or whatever, we're talking about growth because people have realised they need a saviour, so that's the outside coming in, and I want to talk to you about that today. Um, in Luke 14, um, it says that one of those at the table said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. So Jesus is at a banquet. Jesus is at a, a, a big meal. And you know what it's like when um, someone tries to say something to, to say the right thing. This feels like the sort of thing where the, the person speaking to Jesus is, isn't just talking about fishing or, or something nice just for fun, uh, some leisure thing. Someone's, I, I feel like they're trying to earn brownie points here because they're, they're saying, I mean, if you were sitting opposite Jesus at a meal, what would you say? What would you say? What would you talk about? So this person says, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. All right, yeah, nice, okay. But Jesus takes that as his cue. He says, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Now look, is he about to buy the field or has he bought it? He's just bought it. Yeah, it says on the screen and I read it to you. Okay, you were allowed to answer out loud. Okay. Um, He's just bought it. So it's signed, sealed and delivered. It's his field. He doesn't have to go and see it, but he's excited about his new purchase. It's more important to him than being at the banquet. I feel sorry for the guy putting on the banquet. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. So again, he's bought them. It's like he's, he's just bought a new Land Rover Discovery and he just wants to take it for a spin. How inconvenient that there's a banquet. Well, you could have taken the oxen to the bank. No, you wouldn't have done that. Still another said, I've just got married, so I can't come. And they go, oh, yeah, I understand. Or he could have said, bring your wife. I've just got married. Can I bring my wife? But they made excuses. These are not, Jesus uses the word excuses in his story. These are not reasons that, could be justified. 
The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. There's a kind of a little nudge at the Jews there who are are at that banquet. Not one of those, Israel, not one of those who've been invited will get a taste of it. Wow, that's harsh, harsh words from Jesus. And, And the guy who queued Jesus up with, blessed is those who is thinking, I wish I'd have talked about fishing now. Compel them to come in. That, that word struck me as I read it some time ago. And I've, I've got a, a wide margin Bible that I wrote in years ago. And I underlined compel. And I started writing down some of the things that might compel people to come in. And some of the things I didn't write were um, exciting worship music. I didn't write uh, smoke machines and, and, and light. I love all those. I mean, we, when we're near home, uh, no, we're home now. When we're near where we used to live, uh, we sometimes go to Audacious Church in Manchester and they have the, the lights and, and the smoke machines and, and the music's four times louder than it is here and, and all that. And we love all that and we jump up and down to it. But that's not what I think is going to compel people to come in. In fact, I thought it would be worth finding out what the word compel compel means and so I looked it up and it means to well it means to compel the Greek word there means to compel but unpacking it it means to constrain with urgency like there's this pressing necessity compel them to come in tell them it is absolutely urgent that you come to this banquet it's not just a a blase invite well there's this thing going on down the road if you want to come along just well just have a sniff at the door and see if it feels any good I don't know it's compelling you have to come to this you've just got to get to this banquet there is an urgent necessity and the Greek word it comes from comes from a word which actually means it's something, a necessity that calls for timely help, which suggests that strong force is needed to accomplish something that is compulsory, brackets absolutely required, in case you didn't know what um, compulsory means. This is directly pasted from biblehub.com. So um, compulsory, brackets, completely, absolutely required. Mandatory, we could have had. Um, this kind of situation, it says is typically brought on by great pain or distress. Now, that's quite a strong way of saying, tell these people to come to this banquet. You're compelling them. You're saying this is so important that there's this pain if you don't come along. But pain and distress are not really what we want to think of when we present the full gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we like, and I like, to dress the gospel as come to Jesus and he'll set you free. And he does, and he will set you free. And, and we talk about the, um, what people talk about, the carrot and the stick, don't they? The, the, good, the good reasons to do something, the, the pull factors, but there's also the, the push factors as well. 
And this idea of pain and distress in our compelling people to come in is maybe something we've got to feel. But this idea of pain and distress, at the same time I was um, preparing, I first shared some of these thoughts um, a year ago at Wednesday Night Live uh, and felt it was right to share them in this context as well. And, and, and a year ago, while I was studying for this, I was also reading a book by Charles Spurgeon called The Soul Winner. And um, here's a quote, there's two quotes from him, and then I'll go back to quoting the Bible again so we all feel comfortable. Um, Spurgeon says in his book, The Soul Winner, if our hearers will weep over their sins and after Jesus, let their tears flow in rivers. Wow, that's quite strong, isn't it? And then he says, this we believe to be an indispensable mark of the Spirit's work. I think the, the context, the the subtitle is, how do we know when someone's really saved? Because he, he, he has a whole chapter on what soul winning isn't uh, and, and how he's, he's, to his distress, he's led lots of people to, a, to a, an event and a moment, but they haven't, they haven't taken, if you like. Um, so he's talking about, this is, this is when you really know they've got it. The new life, as it enters the heart, causes intense inward pain as one of its first effects. And um, in, in John... 16, Jesus says, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So pulling those thoughts together, what, the way I read that is that when the Spirit is at work in someone's life, the painful reality of their own need for Christ will compel them to enter the kingdom banquet. God asks his servants to align themselves with this compelling Spirit. When the Spirit is at work in someone's life, there's that sense of, do you know what? I just feel rotten about who I am. When Isaiah had um, an encounter with God in, I think, chapter 6, his first reaction was, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. He saw God and he realised his sinfulness. We were just singing, holy, there is no one like you. And as he opens up our eyes and lets us see who he is, we realise in the reflection of who he is, who we are. And we are in pain about our own sinfulness. It's just an, an automatic consequence so as the outside come in there's got to be this sense of repentance this turning away from sin so all that sounds quite heavy and quite distressing um, but actually maybe I ask you if you um, if you are a follower of Jesus and you've made this full-on commitment for Jesus maybe you can reflect on your own life about times where you realize that God I've just got to put something right with you I've just got to put something right with you. And maybe there are other people who have to go through that too. And, and we make it, um, we, we try and make it easy for them. So I think if that top quote, if our hearers will weep over their sins and after Jesus, let's just put our arm around them and make them feel a bit better. You know, if someone comes to me and says, John, I'm a wicked sinner. What am I going to say? Oh, no, you, no, you're not. Jesus, Jesus loves you. All that sort of thing. Um, or am I going to say, yeah, you are, and so am I, or so was I. So it's just being real about that pain that some people are going to have to go through. And I've got all that thinking out of the word compel. We're compelling people, so they're going to feel some pain about their sinfulness, but we're going to feel some pain about the fact that we've got these people who we love, and they're not in the banquet. It's just painful. 
That's the painful reality. They're not part of this incredible feast that is laid on for us. But this is what we're up against. We're up against misconceptions. You talk about church and people instantly try and figure out what that's all about. Someone was saying, setting up this morning, they were asked to do something this morning. And, um, and it was Richard. He was, it, was, it was texted or messaged from work. And it was kind of, can you, can you look at these documents or whatever? I wasn't listening properly, Richard, so I can't tell the story. But it's basically, I've got to try and explain to these people what I'm about to do. I'm about to set up some PA in a school hall. Um, and, I, and it's just kind of getting this idea of church across to people. What is, what is this weird church you go to? Um, so I, I said, when is a church not a church? When it's a building. Because people just don't get what it is. So we, we get this whole misconception idea about what church is. You try and present Jesus. Or you talk about Jesus. And the word Jesus can mean so many different things to different people who haven't encountered him for themselves as a personal reality misunderstanding, past hurt. I went to church, but they rejected me because I wasn't good enough. I went to church, but um, I was very offended by so-and-so. I went to church and nobody talked to me. Or the church has got a bad reputation in town for whatever reason, for some past stuff that's gone on, and it might not even be justified. The press has got hold of something and publicised something else. Um, it's happened quite recently about a very large church and uh, it's, it's, it puts people off. We're up against all this. Stereotyping, doubt, preconceived ideas, rationalism, this, the spirit of the age of, of if it's not empiric, empirically verified, if it can't be proved by science, it, it's not worth believing. Pride. And that's just those people. What about us? Then there's, there's our fear that if we do actually get them to come to church, and I know I'm not talking about just coming to the Sunday experience, we want them to come to Jesus, but we do have this fear that what if um, something weird or embarrassing happens and they come to church? Can we just trust the Holy Spirit to work in their lives despite our inadequacies and despite our failings and, and despite our errors in, in the meeting and, and the the, the duff note I sing if I'm leading worship or whatever it is or the stumbling I make when I speak or the, um, or the person at the back who has coffee and smells a bit and, and is they, are they going to put them off? I don't know who. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular because you, you, all smell, you all smell beautiful this morning. So I wrote a few things down and I think I'm just going to sit down and read this because it's all on the screen and uh, basically the next few minutes is, is just scripted. I'm just going to read it to you. Um, the family gathering. Have you ever invited someone to a family gathering and felt apprehensive about how they might respond? Maybe there are some weird family traits that might put people off. Imagine you're a child and your family is celebrating with a buffet with so much good food, it couldn't possibly all be for you. The food is so good, you realise if someone could taste it, they'd put, it, put up with your dad's bad jokes, your granddad's drawn-out stories, and your mum's obsession with going round in marigolds, cleaning up after everyone. Your teenage brother's habit of scowling or your dog's tendency to treat the leg of a stranger with just a little too much affection. <laughs> the food is so good, if you could just get them to taste it, that would be all they'd notice. You just have to get them to the table. 
They're your friends and you want them to share it. Maybe if you took some out to the street, maybe if you brought the inside out, perhaps you'd package some up and bring it to where you work or the care home where you visit them or around to their house. Then it's up to them to taste this weird-looking, extraordinarily good food, but at least you'd done all you could. The food would speak for itself. Not persuasive words, just a powerful demonstration shared with love. I read an article in Relevant magazine um, about a year ago, which the title of it was um, Warm is the New Cool. And it was an article talking about churches growing older and dying out and a survey of churches that aren't doing that and churches that are what they described as growing younger. And this is an extract from that article. Lawrence became disillusioned with church during his second year of college. Despite squeezing in a Sunday worship service most weeks, something wasn't clicking. So, week by week, his attendance grew less and less frequent until he just quit. For the next couple of years, Lawrence would occasionally drop in on a church, usually sitting in the back, critical of everything. He'd leave even more discouraged. When his fiancée moved to town, they decided it was time to pick up the search again. Someone told them about a congregation that almost sounded like a secret. With little online presence or exterior allure, word of mouth seemed to be how people found this small community. Lawrence and his fiancée gathered their courage and stepped cautiously into worship one Sunday first walking in the wrong door of an ancient pink building before winding through the halls and stairwell down to the gathering in the basement. They were readily welcomed, took their seats in two rickety folding chairs and Lawrence would later share what made his experience connect with him wasn't the preaching or the worship style, it certainly wasn't the building, it was the life shared among the people that drew them in. The writer goes on to say, when it comes to engaging young adults and teenagers, our research team at the Fuller Youth Institute discovered and explored over 250 churches thriving with young people. These churches are not seeing millennials walk away in droves. In fact, instead of following the national trends of shrinking and growing old, they're doing something surprisingly different, growing young. Our analyses of the terms young people and adults use to describe their churches in over 1,300 interviews, we noticed repeated phrases such as welcoming, accepting, belonging, authentic, hospitable and caring. We began to call this the warmth cluster. 1,300 interviews. Warmth is more than superficial community. It's like family. In fact, the phrase like family surfaced as one of the most common terms young people use to describe their church in our interviews and field visits. This metaphor of family is rich with images of hospitality and unconditional acceptance. When we asked young people how they would describe their church to a friend, only 12% talked about worship. Only 9% mentioned worship style. 
Similarly, when we asked, what makes your church effective with young people? Only a quarter mentioned worship at all, and only 12% mentioned anything about music. That figure drops to only 3% when we isolate the top third most effective churches. So, what do they talk about when they describe their church? Overwhelmingly, nearly one in three share about its warmth. One pastor confessed, we can hire and buy cool, but we can't hire or fake warmth. In recent site visits, we couldn't help but notice that some churches are moving away from the models of attractive worship sets and highly polished, timed-to-the-minute experiences. More than one research team noted that what a particular church lacks in physical resources or flashiness, it makes up in warmth, authenticity and hospitality. As it turns out, warm is the new cool. However, these statistics don't mean that worship planning no longer matters. In our site visits to churches, we didn't encounter any bad worship services. Churches growing young are thoughtful and intentional about worship. Many young people are drawn to churches that are more like family rooms than theatres and that invite young people not just to share beliefs but to share life. As one 20-something in our study reflected, it's one thing to watch a worship performance. Anyone can do that online. In contrast, the internet can't help you move to your new apartment. Only a close community will do that. Compel them to come, there, to come in so that my house will be full. There is a royal banquet all are urgently invited. What is more compelling to someone out in the cold than the warmth of God's love? So we're in the pre-service prayer meeting and um, last night some of us were down on the quay in the wind and in the rain and it came into my mind what we were doing last night. Some of us volunteered for Brixham Council and um, went round just stewarding, making sure the procession went nice and all that sort of thing. There were thousands of people down there last night. It was windy. It was cold. It was horrible. It was raining. Thousands of people didn't mind it because they came to see the light. They came to see some fireworks and some little lanterns. And there were people of all ages because children were there who'd made their own lanterns. I just thought, what a wonderful picture of what the church could be. Thousands of people don't mind the wind, the rain and the cold because they've seen the light. They've seen the light of Christ shining through us. And that's how the inside will come in. We need to lift Jesus higher. We need to let the light, especially as Christmas comes nearer, we need to let the light of Jesus shine, not just in our hearts and give us a nice, warm, fuzzy glow, but shine out of us and only the Holy Spirit can do that and we pray that the Holy Spirit will speak through us and that we will find it easy to invite them not to an event but they'll just come to Jesus. We've talked about the inside out church. We've talked about individuals being inside out. We've got so much on the inside of us that Christ has um, done 
by nothing of our own works, but by his grace. Um, And we're now talking about the outside coming in. Wouldn't it be exciting to see people turn their lives over to Jesus and we start to see people delivered of of alcoholism and and other addictions and and marriage is put right because Jesus has come into the marriage and and families reunited and and brought back together because Jesus has come in and and people living a happier life uh, on earth and and wanting to share the news themselves and putting us to shame with their their gospel mindedness. Wouldn't it be great to see people coming along who who perhaps you can think of, of an unsaved person who who um, you just could not imagine sitting in in, in that seat, not just because it's next to Dave Barnett, or this seat, or this seat here. Um, just think of someone who you just who lives in Brixham, you could just never imagine sitting there and and believe for it and, and start praying for those people because that's God's heart. God's heart is that they belong to the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit Brixham.church.